Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, transitioning to a virtual reality. Dr. Bonnie's model of leadership. And what is it time for? This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. It's time for Obstacle Course. That's what it's time for. <laughs> Everybody probably knew that already though. Oh, for It sure. was more of a... Uh, hypothetical hypothetical question yeah Yeah. something to ponder as leaders um, yeah yeah as leaders or just individuals i think it's a good question to ask yourself not like every time no and if i ask you that now it's probably lunchtime yes it is lunchtime (laughs) and you can hear my stomach rumbling (laughs) but um it's it's good to ponder i think that the idea of taking time for inquiry is is one of the one of the things that our guests today will will often come back to um that being an effective leader isn't always just taking action all the time. It's ensuring that there is appropriate time for reflection, for pause, and for inquiry. And uh, and you'll we'll get into that a little bit a little bit later as we continue in this conversation. But Ian did take action and did do some inquiry to see if he could come on our podcast again. He did. He which is bold. <laughs> yeah, you know, to be like I thought I was pretty damn good on the first time around. I want to come on again. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly what he said, but no. I'm sure that was the intent behind it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Ian Chisholm, our guest today, uh, he he reached out. And said, hey, uh, I think a follow-up conversation would yeah. be pretty awesome. And immediately we're like, heck yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, he, he was one of... Um, was that he, episode 47? Yeah, he was episode 47. A lot of that was about leadership. But there was also a, a nice dash of Star Wars in there too, which I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> combined, those, that's what made it one of my, my favorite episodes of, of our first 50 um yeah so we we brought him back we he's gone through a a pretty massive transition he's led a massive transition at roy group um which he is the founder of he's uh co-founder actually i I believe is the appropriate appropriate title there but um, i don't want to take away from anyone else's contributions or get in legal trouble (laughs) yeah um but yeah he He's gone through that with his team, and um, and he was here to talk about that today, as well as just reflect on what leadership looks like in our, our changing world, how ethics come into play, how to model future leaders, and um, and as well just kind of how to get through this with uh, the full range of emotions. That's something that we didn't uh, have in our three things at the beginning, but no. the, the range of emotions, that that took up a lot of the conversation. It was pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, and, and how uh, everyone needs to see that Pixar movie Inside Out. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a really good, you know, you know, the whole thing, you really understand something if you can explain it to a five-year-old. Yeah. That's what Pixar does so well. Mm-hmm. They explain good concepts to five-year-olds and 50-year-olds. Yeah. So good movie about uh, regulating emotion. And Ian had seen it and enjoyed it. Have you seen it, Andrew? No. You're not a Pixar guy, but you should get into it. Not a Pixar guy. Or a movie guy. Not a, or really not, into TV. Don't watch or... a ton of movies on <laughs> TV. Uh, You're too busy living life. That's a good thing. There's other things that, that normally um, take up my, my attention. Your time and attention. And that's good. You know, when I asked you at the beginning if you had any idea what we wanted to talk about in the intro, you said, I have an idea. Did we even cover that nope, off? No, we didn't. We just nailed it though, right? Yeah. Let's go with it. Cool. We'll we'll, uh, we'll leave that for next time. But it was going to be about the NHL. Oh, jeez! Uh, well, yeah. So it would have been a half an hour long conversation, and most of us, yeah. most of it bickering between. Um, <laughs> Oilers and players. Who, who is who would win the first round matchup be- between the Battle of Alberta? Yeah, we all know. And we wouldn't we wouldn't have come to an agreement. <laughs> uh, enjoy this episode, everybody. Ian Chisholm, or Chiz, as he is affectionately known, is Roy Group. He's uh, 
he's a founder or co-founder, one of the two of Roy Group, uh, who who is uh, a, a master of lessons of leadership. But that doesn't mean he's uh, he's a perfect example of one, because as we discussed today, we are all on our own journey, and and that means we're learning. So enjoy, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks, folks. Yeah, we kind of had a fun place we wanted to start. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're all huge hockey fans. Obviously, two of us. Obviously, two of two of us have you know made the right decision um, <laughs> our, all our lives. The other one is still uh, you know struggling. But uh, you know, as Oilers fans and, and one flame fan, um, you know this whole thing, this thing we're talking about, COVID, started really with the announcement of the NHL, basically just saying, okay, we're done for the season, and that almost signaled. After that, all the dominoes just sort of fell. Um, so we thought it'd be a fun place to start with talks of maybe reopening the NHL and perhaps even having the audacity to finish this season and have like a 20 to 24 team format. I just was curious on your thoughts on that and, and what, what you think are maybe some of the key questions those leaders should be asking as they they hope to try and salvage the season. It's true. Uh, That was the first major signal that this was big. And if you want to tell Canadian, if you want to tell Canadians that something is large on the landscape, cancel the NHL season. (laughs) All of a sudden, Canadians are looking at each other going, yeah, this is substantial. (laughs) This is significant now. For sure. I, uh, I've also been thinking a lot about uh, the abnormality. So what if they like held a tournament? Uh, like like minor hockey tournaments where you yeah. play like three games in a day if you have to. Like maybe it happens over a week and it happens in a place where they can uh, get great footage of it. Obviously, you know, no crowds, but uh, you're playing for the Stanley Cup. And 100 years from now, that will be the Stanley Cup that people talk about. Is mm-hmm. Remember that, you know, that there was a pandemic. They created a tournament. They televised it. Everybody watched every game because we were all so hungry just to watch live sports rather than uh, epic games from the past. Yeah, I think I think we should be open to uh, creating like an alternative tradition for this time, knowing that it'll go back to uh, the way it was for for all intensive purposes. Yeah, I mean it's it's already decided that everything's going to be different in 2020 and, and probably for the next couple of years after. So why not just embrace the novelty of it and, and rather than try to make it as close to normal as possible, accept the strangeness and, and be creative, which I mean, a lot of people are, are having to do that in, in their own businesses. Um, one question I had to, to have this under the, the frame of leadership um, when looking at, at people making big decisions that have a huge impact and, and there's tons of stakeholders at play, how would you suggest that they guide their decision making in, in a way that uh, properly acknowledges public safety, but as well the, um, the economic impact and, and kind of the, the big ripple effects that these major decisions have? Yeah, I just think there's so many people making pyramids on the corner of their desk saying, okay, this is the most important thing, but right behind that or right underneath that, there's another big thing here that's important. And right underneath that, there's another thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just think this, uh, 
when people are thrown into a totally clean slate and there are a different set of rules, people actually kind of run their own clinic on decision-making. I mean, I, I think a lot of leaders are actually coming to terms with the fact that tough decisions have to be made the last two months. And, and normally the, the truth is things are so easy that we don't have to make decisions. <laughs> we can just keep kicking it down the field and we don't have to make tough decisions. In the last two months, a lot more people who are not used to doing it have had to make, you know, uh, really, really uh, big and distinct choices. And we're just not used to that. Yeah. And it seems to me like that's, that's not necessarily a negative thing. Like that, no. that is a, no. an opportunity to really test our resolve and, and also test the, the quality of our previous decisions. If, if things are always going easy economically or whatever, then right. you make decisions and it's probably going to work out okay. But the, the stakes have certainly been raised and, and it has, it has been a, a litmus test for, um, for yeah, our previous decisions and, and maybe even our, our ethics and, and the, the quality of our decision-making ability in general. So we, yeah, there's, yeah, go ahead. Ian. Just, I was just going to say, there's nothing that in that reinforces the status quo more than ease. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so to introduce something that's not easy does, does kind of challenge the status quo. And as humans, we're just terrible with that. I don't even think it's intentional. It's not like we're fighting to protect the status quo. We're just in favor of it because if it works for us, why wouldn't we just keep playing it that way? Well, and speaking, we're, we're kind of talking about feelings and emotions here a little bit too. Just because it feels difficult doesn't mean it is difficult and all that oh. kind of stuff. And and Ian, in, in your check interview that you gave, I think a couple of months back now, you brought up the importance of emotion as being a, a, a good tool in a leader's tool tool belt. And so I, just, I wonder where you see emotion playing when it comes to the difficult. Yeah, no, I believe that anytime I hear um, somebody saying we have to keep emotion out of this, I'm like, you're denying yourself access to a huge vault of information. Yeah. Uh, human emotion is chock full of information that we actually need in any given situation. So more and more, you're finding that leaders are acquiring ways to use their emotion, not to be uh, run by their emotions. I don't know if you guys ever saw the Mark Ruffalo movie, Thanks for Sharing, but there's a great line that emotions are kind of like kids in a car. Don't let them drive, but equally don't lock them in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, right? They're just kind of there. They're full of information. Uh, yeah. No, I, I really do think... Uh, and in that way, you know, I think people have been through so many different emotions that they've probably never experienced before. Kind of a part of that, of that radar that they've never addressed before in the last few months. And I think that's just really important to know that that's all there. Even the stuff that's, that's a little bit scary and uh, uh, makes people question what it's all about. I just think humans... Humans are meant to kind of go into that territory from time to time to see what they can learn from that. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's the the analogy you gave is perfect uh, because <laughs> initially I was thinking, how do you know when your emotions, when it's good to bring emotion into it, and and when you've gone too far and you're being driven by uh, by fear or um, or doubt in oneself or those those um, 
challenging emotions that can often uh, lead us to the the wrong decisions. What, how do you think people might be able to effectively strike a balance there? Well, I think it's, uh, and I'm not sure where I picked uh, this up, but for me, it comes down to the difference between a reaction and a response. A reaction is when I'm kind of a slave to whatever emotion I'm feeling. I'm feeling intense anger, so I punch a hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah, that, There's not a lot that constructively comes from that. No, um, <laughs> no, no. But, you don't but even get better at punching holes. You get worse because your hands are. <laughs> yeah. You get better at missing the studs, I guess. That's <laughs> yeah. the one skill that you get better and better at. But that sounds like somebody who has a lot of experience in this. I said that <laughs> randomly. Um, yeah, a response is if you're experiencing something that's, that's a really strong emotion, to be able to clock it, to be able to, uh, you know, have a vocabulary that allows you to let the people around you know what's going on for you inside and that you're using that to inform your response. You know, anger means this is a boundary. Uh, Sadness means I need some time to reflect on this because there's a, there's a deep well of emotion. Any, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to think of, I heard of an app the other day that actually is like a kindergarten of emotional intelligence where you start with the basics, like happy, sad, angry, and you go into that and it gives you like 10 versions of happy and you pick the specific one of that. And then that takes you into 10 more. And, and pretty soon you have this really prolific vocabulary to say exactly what it is that's going on inside. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, kind of three basic colors becomes this whole pixelated wall where every little pixel is a slightly different emotion, which is that that's exactly where we need to go. Well, and this totally reminds me of the Pixar movie Inside Out, which I'm sure, have you guys seen that one? Yeah, it, no, it's great. That's exactly what you were just talking about, all the different colors and emotions and, and how, you know, spoiler alert, there it is, Andrew. Uh, mm-hmm. The point of that movie is really to show the importance of having a multicolor experience with our emotions. We can't just be happy. Um, sadness is also really important. Uh, brilliant movie, by the way, folks. It's not just for kids. Pixar's never just for kids. The adults are, you know, dabbing their eyes while the kids are like laughing at all the zaniness. But uh, that's a perfect example about uh, what what uh, healthy emotion looks like. Um, but speaking of what healthy emotion looks like, I think as British Columbians, uh, we can all look at a leader that has emerged over the last two months. Um, almost out of thin air um, and has become somebody that now people want to put on money. And of course, we're talking about <laughs> doc, Dr. Bonnie Henry. And, and you know, Ian, as a, as a you know, professional um, of creating leaders and, and in the leadership biz, uh, when you look at Bonnie Henry, what are the qualities she has that makes her such an extraordinary leader? Yeah, I mean, she is steady without being emotionless Mm -hmm. Uh, early on i think uh word kind of traveled that she had shed a tear i don't know we we experienced some milestone of our first death or there was some milestone that just made her really sad and uh it was on her sleeve and it did not impair her ability to know in that moment exactly what her responsibility was it was a paradox of being totally human like everybody else and also having that weight of leadership where you know they didn't create the office of the chief medical officer just for you mm-hmm. uh, it, there's an office there and that office has some weight and she carries that weight 
she's also, you know, just a multi-storied person. Um, because people have been talking about her as an example, you hear of all these little uh, snippets from people who have been alongside her. My neighbor is from Newfoundland and was in the Navy when she was uh, a doc on the ship, mm. a doctor on the ship. And just him telling stories about his interactions with her are awesome. Yeah. You know, that she just, in any given moment, she distinguishes herself as somebody that you can count on, who's also, in this case, going to enjoy the moment. And this paradox of being a human, just like you and me, and somebody who takes their responsibility seriously. It's an awesome, it's an awesome paradox. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's exactly what you were referring to a few minutes ago about being able to utilize or or properly acknowledge emotions without being uh, completely taken over by them. And, and um, I think that that is part of what we seek out. And, and maybe we gravitated towards it so, so much, so uh, naturally, because it's kind of uh, uncommon when we look at leaders on a, on a large scale. It, you know, even people like people leading the NHL, like Gary Bettman, you don't really see a lot of natural emotion from him and, and from politicians as a whole. I, I think that's what um, what creates mistrust in them is that we don't really see the human side yeah. of, of their personalities very often. So um, what one of the topics that that we were going to delve into here today, Ian, and, and it, it's because of the work that you do with the Roy group and, and because of how um, awesome the conversation was the first time um, was the future of leadership. And if, if you were crafting young leaders, emerging leaders, um, what would a piece of advice be on showing, uh, showing the human side or, or do you think there should be an emphasis on being more natural um, when it comes to being an effective leader? Yeah, it's super interesting. Uh, it's almost like, you know, I have heard from uh, different clients, and this is before COVID-19 happened, that there was a, a grit kind of missing. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, I even had one vice president of a tech company just kind of say like, it's it's almost like this is a generation that has forgotten that there's war like they were yeah. saying i it doesn't feel like i would go into battle with them because mm -hmm. they just haven't been through something difficult and you know for people our age i don't know if we've been through super difficult things and i don't even know if our parents in my case um have been through systemically difficult things. There's been recessions up and down. There's been, um, at an individual level, I don't think there is uh, a human life that's not fraught with difficulty. But there's something about, like you said in the opening, about us all going through this together that makes this a really valuable time to prepare and to ready and to steady the next generation of leaders to say, these are the sorts of things that will begin to happen more frequently. So surround yourself with people 
who are demonstrating the kinds of characteristics and the kinds of complex abilities that get people through times like this, because we're going to be counting on you to kind of be that person the next time. I, I think that that combination of kind of embracing adversity and realizing that at a, at a really deep level that we are not built for easy. No. Human beings are not built for easy. We're, we're literally physically, emotionally, uh, intellectually, uh, even spiritually, we are built to take on challenge and to kind of find our way through it. It's literally like kind of what we're all about. The people who have done it have this extra kind of glow about them, hmm. you know, whether it's somebody who has overcome addiction or somebody who has, uh, you know, I think of somebody like Romeo Dallaire, who came through hell and back externally and internally. Hmm. They have this, um, they have a luster that's just somehow uh, easy to trust. And, and I think, uh, in some ways, people should embrace the chance to have some of that smoothness worn off of them. Uh, it's in our flaws, and it's in these—it's in this friction that, that that we become knowable to other people and trustable by other people. So, yeah, I—I I don't want us to be suckers for punishment, but I do think we should acquire an appetite for adversity and realize that it actually shapes us very well. I love that, Ian. I love the appetite for adversity. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we had a guest recently on Scott Carney who used the phrase resilience is our birthright. And, mm -hmm. it, and it really speaks to the heart of what you were saying is um, we are we, we were formed as a species through grit and through building, building our civilizations. And we, we can handle much more than we think we can. And another thing um, I thought about when you're talking about the young leaders, the young leaders, they're, they're looking to the older leaders um, on how to respond when things go sideways or outside our control. And, and we can do better. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the pictures that you see of the people rushing through Costco with the toilet paper in the bin, in the carts, they're not young people. You know, these are people that should know better. And so, so, you know, this message is, is not just for young leaders, but for, for the, the middle age and older leaders to remember that, you know, we're teaching, you know, the people, you know, who are going to carry on our work, how to carry on the work. And we need to re really take that seriously. Yeah, I think it, I think it was Albert Schweitzer whose definition of leadership was one word, example. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Leadership is example. That was his whole premise. Three words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you, you mentioned you wanted to, uh, to dig into today was the, the idea of um, endless positivity. And, and we've uh, we've kind of touched on that a little bit already, but um, when it comes to how to encounter obstacles or or adversity, um, I, I you you mentioned that there's there's something wrong with the idea of just um, the the power of positive intention or or just be positive and and it'll it'll be okay. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing that I want to want to kind of declare is that I think one of the thing that's, that's been a core message for me throughout this entire two months is to not judge people. Like people are doing what they need to do to get through. 
And so even though initially I saw some people uh, take a step back from their responsibility because they just needed a time out, like they needed time with their family, they wanted to get grounded, they saw this as a chance to take a rest. And even though initially I might have had some feelings about that, those kind, those feelings kind of uh, dissolved. And, you know, this idea that people are doing what they need to do was, was the most clear. Other people doubled down, uh, even in a compulsive way, and, <laughs> and worked their asses off yeah. for like three or four weeks at a time without looking up and sacrificed in another way. And, and maybe they needed to do that to just have enough momentum to get through something that they knew was going to be hard. So I don't want to judge that. Yeah. Casinos um, were closed, though, so you couldn't double down literally uh, in a compulsive <laughs> way. Were, that's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's online. True. Although <laughs> although we can talk about, I think, I, uh, yeah, no, I think a lot of people worked in a way that they have never worked before because they could. Right. There was no in-between time for coffees or lunches or... They, there was just hour after hour after hour after hour of effort, which, again, I, I think that comes with a price. And, yeah, it, on that topic, we, we, I mentioned this in the Czech News interview. We do a lot of work with BC Wildfire. Mm -hmm. And they know, their incident commanders know that after 14 days of being kind of in the zone, totally engaged, totally submersed with this information-rich, decision-rich environment, that their decision-making gets really frayed. So it's not about how tough are you or how perseverant you are. It's just no. On average, after 14 days of being in it, your decisions are probably not what your team needs them to be. Yeah. So, you know, again, but, but not to judge people. Saying that, the one thing that has, that, that has rubbed me a little bit is this idea that um, the right way forward is to only acknowledge uh, the positive. Yeah. And to somehow not acknowledge that, um, you know, there are, this sounds extreme, but there are forces of darkness at play around the world right now in a big way. And without the watchers and without the journalists on the street, we're going to find out in the years to come of, some really ugly things where people took advantage of this to further agendas that, you know, by any measurement are, are pretty ugly agendas. Um, I mean, I think that's even happening in the United States a few miles away from us. Yeah. So um, I just think in the same way that COVID-19 has brought a lot of bad news and some opportunity, uh, we're big enough to embrace both. That's where, you know, John, that theme of resilience comes from is embracing both. And if I'm scared of something, you know, if I'm really scared that my parents might be at risk in this, then go into that fear. You know, yeah. what does that fear tell me about how much I love my parents and how much there's kind of some new territory there for me to explore that I actually really want to protect my parents. And when somebody is laissez-faire about the way they're socially interacting and they're kind of, you know, seeing it as their constitutional right to be stupid. Uh, there's anger that comes with that. And I should crawl right inside that anger to see what that, what that information is. Um, yeah. I'm kind of into, to me, it's always like 
uh, good poetry. Good poetry is not always about pretty things. Hmm. Sometimes it's about really ugly things, and it's just important to kind of touch that to touch that place uh, yeah. in our psyches to know that it's there. Yeah, Ian, I, I think that's that's so true. Um, in fact, about a month ago, I was reading in in, uh, in a book uh, by my favorite author Pema Chodron. Um, she talked about how hope can sometimes be a bad thing, and I was uh, like, "What? What do you mean?" <laughs> I was like, "What on earth do you mean?" Like it actually stopped, and I was like, "What?" Like I was kind of reeling, like, what do you mean hope can be a bad thing? And, and I, you know, after hearing you share that, I'm kind of seeing how hope and positivity can sometimes be bad things because we use them as escapes to deal with the present negativity and fear that we're having. And what I hear you saying, like that, that, that whole visual of crawling up inside of it, being with it, taking it in, allowing it to pass through us. Um, that's the ultimately the most hopeful thing we can do. Because because we're taking it in and learning from it, but sometimes when we're just always like, uh, oh, I, I just hope things turn around. I, ho I hope we can open up the economy real quick. Oh, I hope my business. Oh, I hope. Or or we just say like you know a, a plaster a smile on our face and just say positive things or words of affirmation. Um, we're not dealing with it. We're escaping from it. And um, yes, we need to be hopeful and positive, but you know within a framework of reality and acknowledging the darkness. Yeah, it's a it's a dichotomy. There there isn't any light without something to compare it to. Um, yeah. It's a method that I find uh, that I've used a lot in coaching people the last two months. Is if somebody is you know really uh, deep into the only positive, then I just find myself asking questions about you know what they're scared of and what's mm -hmm. come up as a sharp edge in this experience, and I just really need them to to explore that. And if somebody's coming in really scared and really uh, kind of paralyzed by it, um, you know, I might intuitively take the conversation to a place uh, like, what does that fear tell me about what's great about you? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're realizing that there's, there's some really positive aspects of their existence because they're experiencing fear or doubt or, or, you know, feeling isolated or feeling like they're not capable uh, of of getting through this. So, yeah, I just think uh, we're big enough for both, and and we've got to kind of embrace both. And yeah, and the, the idea that the fixation on positivity can be just as damaging or erroneous as the fixation on negativity. Um, yeah. We we need to accept that balance and and embrace um, just as in as in the colors metaphor that John brought up, you know, if we're, if we're only seeing red in the world, we're, we're missing a lot of the beauty of the world. Yeah. Um, and the same can go with emotions. Um, in, in, you mentioned some of the, uh, some of the work that you've been doing in the last two months and it, and a big reason that we're having this conversation is, is because you took Roy group f from, um, what I, I'm not sure if it was purely, in-person work that you did in, in the workshops or, or just the majority of it was, but you've really shifted the dy dynamic of the organization to being able to um, provide online support and coaching um, and, and creation of leaders. Do you want to 
first kind of set that up. We didn't actually talk about Roy Group all that much in our first 90-minute or so episode, which was a bit surprising, but we had plenty of things to talk about. It uh, just didn't come up. Yeah. Um, so do you want to give us a little bit of a background about maybe what Roy Group was? We did hear the story of, of how it, it received its name in the first episode, but, but maybe talk about what Roy Group was and then um, what really inspired the, the transition, whether it was purely COVID or, or was it um, something that was in the, in the works for a while? Yeah, no, and there, it, like, what's most notable about uh, this story for me is that there is no heroicness in it whatsoever, in that the world has been successfully... Um, you know, using blended solutions, meaning people meet in person and then they, you know, interact online and make ground that way. And then that kind of heightens the intensity of being together in person. And, you know, you can do that for years. Uh, what makes this even more remarkable is that my father-in-law is literally known internationally as the father of distance learning. Hmm. Uh, John was, uh, yeah, uh, a metallurgist. He was at universities and he was like part of that first group of professors that were using beta to capture their lectures in case they were sick someday. And he just saw this whole new future of uh, education can reach around the world. He was the vice chancellor of the Open University in England. Uh, so he's literally like, he was knighted for it. So the guy that I have Christmas dinner with every year. <laughs> <laughs> is literally like the father of distance learning. And for the first 15 years of Roy Group, we did absolutely a big fat zero online. Like we checked our emails. And we just, we just like prided ourselves on the fact that we were so good at the in-person event, yeah. like welcoming people into a space where they suddenly realize that a lot of care and attention has been uh, taken. Uh, Andrew, you and I have been a part of some of those rooms together that we've set up together to just send that message that people are so important. Totally. And thanks for coming here. And we're going to do something really important. And then add like a really thoughtful menu, really great service, really great conversation, really comfortable chairs, always natural light. Like we just had a long list. We had this like manifesto. <laughs> of putting people in proximity with each other to learn about leadership. I was literally in the business of social proximity. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and we just never did it. Some of our coaches uh, used Skype and Zoom. Uh, some even preferred using phone where they didn't see the person so they could really concentrate on what the person was saying. So we had definitely dabbled in that space. But uh, yeah, March 20th, was literally the first time I've ever interacted with clients on Zoom. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that just feels like a big confession to say like, <laughs> for years people had said to me, you could, you know, you could travel a lot less if you just used some online strategies, like not all of them, you don't have to go, but just, you know, make something a little bit more regular for our clients uh, at intervals that are a little bit more predictable it's easier for them. It's easier for you. You can have a better life. Uh, so where do you think that resistance came from? 
I don't know. It was just new. We were in a groove. It was that, that ease of status quo, even though trying something different would have created more ease, but it, it, you know, that deep, those deep tracks we get into when every time a neural pathway fires, it becomes a little bit easier for it to fire. And so we literally get grooves in our thinking that yeah. as, the more we do it that way, the more we say, this is the way Roy group rolls. Yeah. Exactly. And, and we were rewarded uh, by our clients. I mean, they really liked the fact that we took that so seriously and they were prepared to pay for travel and accommodation and catering for that to happen. It was different in this world where people spend a lot of time online. So, well, in, in, in your defense, Ian, I mean, like if it's not broke, like why, why fix it? I mean, right. you know, and, and where do you find the balance with as a, as an entrepreneur and business owner? Hey, it's not broke. You know, let's not fix it. Let's just For keep sure. doing it versus what if it does get broke? Right. <laughs> what are we going to do? How are we going to fix it? So right. how do we make room for those kind of conversations bef before they happen? I guess. Or to be question. big, to be, to be big minded enough as an entrepreneur to say, let's break this just to see how we uh, build it back up. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, what I've often felt, I was like, uh, you know, when you build something really sweet with Lego, <laughs> yeah. I haven't done that yeah. lately, but I had a pretty robust uh, Lego emporium as a kid. So <laughs> when you build something that's so awesome, like a combine harvester, <laughs> um, you just never want to take it apart. No, yeah. And you kind of protect it as if it's, uh, you know, not built of Lego. All of a sudden <laughs> it, it becomes like a combine harvester, not a collection of Lego. And I just think Roy Group was we had built something out of Lego that we were super proud of and not, we were proud of the thing we had built, not our capability to rebuild that. Yeah. And so now we're just in a totally different place because of COVID-19 that we're suddenly realizing the capacity that we have to create experiences for people in person and online, which has uh, gone relatively well. I'm, I'm super excited that our clients are saying there's something different about the way you're doing things online, which ironically I think comes from having focused on the in-person event for 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that does translate to just good facilitation, whether it's online or in person. And now we're kind of thinking about uh, new areas when the world opens back up again, could we, take people on learning journeys to incredible places around the world where they get to see and experience something that they, they otherwise never would. Um, yeah. We're thinking about what does it mean to be a media company that does training rather than a training company that does little bits of media, which is kind of where we are now. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just the capacity exists to do whatever we need to do. And I had not seen that capacity before the curtain kind of got torn down in March. So Ian, when the shit hit the fan in March, um, Andrew and I have talked about this in previous episode. We both kind of had our dark nights um, realizing like Andrew in particular just lost his whole business essentially. And right. then just me with my business having to make the changes. And we both talked about having those dark nights of the soul and waking up at three in the morning. Did you have an experience like that in March when you realized, oh man, you know, this shiny Lego Emporium is, is we're going to have to take it down and start over or, or pivot. Um, did, what did that look like for you? Was that, was there a dark darkness or did you just kind of glide through like a real pro? 
No, I did notice. Um, yeah, it's funny. We almost have, like, in the same way that we had 9-11 stories, we have COVID stories, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, was in Edmonton. I was going to stay until Sunday because a really close family friend of ours uh, had passed away, and so there was going to be a celebration of life. Uh, we expected about a 1,000 people to come to that thing. Uh, Chuck was just a really prolific character in Edmonton and known by a lot of people at the university. And so, yeah, I was extending my trip there to stay until Sunday and was going to travel home Sunday night. Uh, by Thursday night, it was obvious that uh, they were going to, the Alberta government was going to make an announcement that uh, no gatherings of 50 or more. Yeah. So I was like, let's get out of here and phoned, phoned uh, Air Canada and got home. And so got home early on the Friday morning, was strangely energized on the plane ride home. There was, I think, four of us on the plane. Hmm. And so that was just a scary experience. I mean, it was eerie yeah. to have to just realize, wow, Air Canada is going to be in a seriously tough place here if this continues for months and months. Yeah. Strangely energized on the way home. By the time I got home, uh, I was weirdly excited about what this all meant and that energy continued for about two and a half weeks when i kind of crashed out and that's 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 when um i just got genuinely scared about our business model and if we would be able to keep the team together that we've spent the last year and a half building uh uh Uh, touching base with clients, realizing that if we were in a bad position, some of them were in a terrible position. Mm -hmm. And that finally kind of tripped me up. And there was about, yeah, four or five days where, yeah, I I think I just had a lot of doubt and a lot of fear about uh, what this all meant. And if we were going to be able to uh, hibernate and last, which at that, during those five days, that seemed like the best strategy is let's just close the doors, uh, send everybody home and, uh, and come out the other side of this with, you know, being really well rested. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think was the darkest it got. What coping strategies did, did you use at that point to maintain, um, we're not positivity because we, <laughs> yeah. we don't want to say that that's just the right way to go about uh-huh. things, but to, to, to keep clarity and to keep um, that that uh, sense of self that was based in reality and, and not maybe just in, in fear or doubt. Yeah, I I, uh, I think there was this surge that came initially of okay, it is time to lead, and so I snapped into that. And was kind of big enough in that time to sustain the losses. So by the time I kind of hit the dark patch where I had some serious questions about what this meant, we had already set up a a project fair. So we took everybody on the team, assigned them to projects, said at the end of April, we will be having a two-day project fair where everyone will present on the ground that they've made over the past month on these certain topics and these certain topics were literally the kinds of things that we would otherwise never have the chance to work on. They were important, but they were just never urgent. 
And, you know, one of them was uh, taking Roy Group online. Another one was kind of creating a manifesto for our events that we would be able to translate to online events uh, and see how much of that translated. Uh, one was uh, specifically helping out a partner, uh, one of our clients called Nemo Bay Resort, who um, we just really wanted to step up for in this time to come up with all kinds of ideas. Anyway, we, we chose six projects. And uh, so when I hit the dark patch, we'd already set something in motion where people were gunning it till the end of the month to present their project and really move things forward. Hmm. It was like the greatest leadership development thing we've ever done. It was for our own team to invite people specifically to step up to bat for something that's really important for our future long term. And, you know, around the same time, the government kind of came through with making the incentive very clear that they want businesses to hang on to people and and have that subsidy to hang on to people. Um, that That made the decision totally clear all of a sudden there was absolutely no excuse to, to let our people go. Um, not everybody had that luxury, but we were able to keep the, the team intact and, and we just made so much ground. So I, I think there's something important there about making ground when you can, yeah. Yeah. you know, when you feel a surge, uh, make as much ground as you can, because at the next juncture, you might need to rest. And so that's the time to do that. Uh, knowing that you've made really great ground in the first two weeks gave us a chance to recover a bit when we ran out of steam. Yeah, it goes back to um, something that you brought up in the first conversation that I I really resonated with um, that you learned from Robert Henderson, the four disciplines of leadership being reflection, inquiry, pause, and action. And that, that pause, that rest period being just as influential and essential as the, the action and the reflection. Um I think that's the part part of what you're getting getting at there uh, with with taking that rest. Um, when, we don't necessarily know when it's coming, but sometimes it just it slaps us in the face and says, "You need me." Like you can't right. go any it's, further. It's time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's so easy in those moments to just get um, almost endlessly stuck in our own mind and thoughts and not taking action. Like just trying to work it all out in our minds and, and playing ping pong with our thoughts um, and not doing anything. And so it, it seems like action really vaults us out of our own heads and gets the momentum going. You can't really get a lot of momentum when you're sitting around uh, and stuck in your head. And so uh, I just, yeah, I think that was my biggest thing is you took action. Well, that's in- interesting, John, because I think I think what gets us into trouble is when we mix these things in some really ugly hybrids like if you try to reflect and inquire at the same time right yeah or or pause you know lots of times we'll say i'm actually taking a day off Mm -hmm. but you spend the whole day kind of thinking and wondering yeah that's the bad territory Mm -hmm. if 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 you can actually be disciplined and say i'm going to take the next few hours to just craft questions about our future yeah and just do that in a very distilled way and then I might reflect and try to make sense of that and pull some answers together. And then I'm actually going to take some time off. If you can treat, if you can treat those four disciplines uh, almost like a gear shift and you just don't want to be in between gears mm. yeah. uh, when it's time to be in first gear, throw it into first gear and get to where you need to get to and then shift gears to something else that that definition of those four, then action gives you when it's time to act, 
uh, A, you probably do something that, that, that needs to happen, and it gives you a whole bunch of new information to ask questions about or to reflect on or to step away from. So love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think definition across those four is more important than one being the best way forward. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, I want to just keep on the potentially slightly uncomfortable subject uh, of your own challenges. When we had our last conversation, we talked about how I, I think I asked a question, something about like, when did you figure out how to effectively achieve balance um, after going through a, a long period of, of overwork or burnout or, or trying to kind of take everything on and, and make it all the way the way you, you saw it to be perfect. Um, and and you, you kind of said like, well, about three months ago, I think was was the response. Um, and this that conversation took place about six months ago. So fairly, fairly fresh. Um, and I, I just wondered how that. Um, that work that you were doing uh, came into play when doing this rejigging and kind of revitalization of, of Roy Group and, and your own contribution there. Yeah, no, that's an awesome question and uncomfortable. <laughs> so thank you. Welcome to Obstacle Course. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a constant challenge. COVID-19... Like if there was a bit of an addiction to winning things through my own effort and just, you know, that, that kind of compulsive perseverance. Yeah. COVID is like the perfect storm to send me right back into that. Mm -hmm. And I would love to tell you I've been able to stay clear of that, but I really haven't. Um, I've definitely burnt it at both ends uh, just to keep the business alive. I mean, there's nothing like survival that kind of awakens that. It's probably the time when you should snap into that gear. But that gear is just so familiar to me that it comes with a little bit of anxiousness or anxiety. Um, yeah, every day, every hour is kind of a choice. Do I get through this as a team or do I get through this? Do we get through this as a team or do I try to get through this um, as Ian Chisholm. And that's just a debate that's been raging for, uh, for two months. And it, it continues. At least I'm calling myself and acting on it. Yeah. And like telling myself, we, we're actually going to uh, add to the team um, a new person to specifically kind of help me distribute work to the team. Uh, We've made a few little alterations and yeah, or we're going to have a director of operations and we're going to have a chief of staff, which is super exciting that both of those roles are about helping me do what I can do uh, better and using the entire team to get things done. So, well, yeah, no, the obstacle course podcast was a big part of kind of realizing that's, that's the change I needed to make. So. Hmm. Well, that's very kind. Thanks for saying that. Um, one thing we do know is is when the shit hits the fan or something out of our control hits us, um, we do have that surge of anxiety. I mean, there, there's no way around it. It's just part partly how we're wired. And then at those moments, people either um, underperform, so the anxiety just paralyzes them, or they overperform and become like you know workaholics and work through it. 
And I, I never knew before that that was actually connected to anxiety, that you could overwork and overproduce and, and try and, you know, almost, you know, overhelp everybody. Because I always just saw it as being paralyzed. So I, I heard some of that in what you're saying, um, that that's a form it took. And so it's just so hard to find the balance between those two. Um, I, like, what does that balance even look like? Or, or even like a, a different way of looking at it is maybe finding the the helpful parts of each yeah, end of the extreme yeah. because they're not necessarily right. always like full of negativity. Like to to overhelp people like that, you can be making some pretty good contributions there, and and maybe just recognizing that you know this is I'm not trying to just like always be in that balance zone because maybe that's unattainable, hmm. but being able to at least have that reflection of when we're outside the balance, but also be like, hey, look, uh, being gentle with ourselves, right. which is something that uh, a, a recent episode, Nick Wignall, he said that if you could put anything up on a billboard for everyone to see, it's be gentle with yourself. Um, so that being gentle, okay, you know, I'm maybe I'm overworking, but it, it's out of a sense of, of wanting to contribute. Right. Um, and then being being able to guide ourselves back into the, the healthy zone yeah no that's a very good point yeah. i think i think and i think the difference is just like emotion and uh there's another tension that i've i've heard a lot of our senior most clients uh, up against it's the difference between doing it consciously and it happening unconsciously mm-hmm. one of the big tensions with with some of our clients um who yeah are deputy ministers or our ceos of uh, large companies um, it has been so appealing to tackle the COVID challenge because it means operational changes and there's a certain amount of drama connected to it and people are in the trenches together and there's uniforms, you know, there's masks and there's robes and there's these uh, uh, meetings where the premier's deputy is calling everybody together once a day. There's just a, there's a, a collegiality that we must at some level need to address adversity together. And uh, that was taking up a lot of the oxygen for some of these leaders who on March 12th had some pretty serious mandates, mandates that change the future for millions of people. And uh, a lot of them have kind of had to adjust at different rates, but over the last two months have kind of had to reconcile that they like the cut and thrust of dealing with an emergency and people appreciating their efforts and being in things together. And like that, that uh, team warmth that comes from addressing something together, reconciling that with the fact that they were asked to address some really difficult, big things that have nothing to do with COVID-19 that still need to happen. Uh, particularly with, with, with you know folks in Alberta which have had uh you know a triple whammy mm-hmm. uh you know beef oil and covid i mean th- yeah. th- that is a that is a triple decker of adversity that's hit um an entire province and they're going to have to change a lot of aspects of the future and you know the truth is we ask the public service to make big changes to the future they're the ones that are thinking a hundred years out, not three years out. Yeah. And yeah, th- these folks were in charge of big things before COVID hit and they still are. And they've had to kind of return to that 
in the new normal, how do they now address those things that were their responsibility before any of this, this dire urgent need hit? It's been, it's been super interesting to help people get back out to those big waves and out of the chop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we love the, the wave analogy. <laughs> it comes up uh, fairly frequently. I mean, John, John is the master of metaphors, and, and that's one of his go-tos is you know, learning how to surf rather than just being tossed around by the waves. We're nearing the, the, the end time of this conversation, which is a, sh- a shame. And, and Just this conversation, not the end time. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> you got to be careful with the way you say things. I know. Days. I was yeah. like, no, Andrew. We're approaching the, <laughs> the end, end times. <laughs> been obvious. Yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah. Things, some things are out of our control. But um, one of the things that uh, in, in a recent video that that you created on on behalf of the roy group uh, a question you put out to participants and and to people who are engaged with that is what is it time for and i thought that might be a, a fun way to kind of begin to bring the conversation to a close and um and we've been we've been talking about um the the future of leadership and how uh how you're you're making a transition yourself and and within the organization but um just maybe uh, you can take this um whatever direction that you'd like but uh if if you were to do some pondering on what is it time for what what would that bring up for you well i think it's different for every person which is the power of that question that leaders would ask that question uh to themselves and for their team and for their community and maybe even for the country. Uh, For me, it has been a time to uh, entangle myself with a bunch of different networks just to get to grips with uh, where this is actually all going. That's been really rewarding. And so I want to continue that. It's, I think it's time to question everything. I think this whole dilemma has exposed a lot of things that are not acceptable Mm -hmm. uh, in our community, in our province, in the world. And I think it's time for, for smart people to question everything and, and really see if we can extract as much significant change from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic as possible. Uh, In that way, I think it's time for people to think very civically and uh, big-mindedly and generously to figure out how will we look back on this years from now and say that was the moment when we realized that we could do better if we were prepared to tackle the tough, scary things in our world. Yeah, and coming, it comes back to Jason Dorland's big question is how can we make this or, or how can this be the best thing that's ever happened to us? Yeah, it, there's nothing wrong with asking that question. Uh, it creates a lot of space for imagination, which is, I, I really think the one thing that uh, leaders need to engage right now is their imagination. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's essential in, in certain businesses, just surviving is <laughs> it, it, doing things completely differently 
and and there's various sectors that you can um, you can apply that to. Um, it, it's certainly something that that I've had to do myself um, with the, with the business that that we run. So, well, the, and the beauty of that question, how can this be the best possible thing that can happen to us? Um, is is the whole idea of it forces you to deal with the this, right? And we talked about uh-huh. just being positive. Uh-huh. You you're pivoting from the this uh-huh. and just like you know, escaping to a better reality, but this force you to look at it. How can we take this, this darkness or this fear or this terrible thing and make it the best possible thing? And that's to me, the perfect balance. And, and I think Jason's question has the word might in it, which right, right. is a very important word. How might this be? Because that, that all, that, that word might invites yeah. us that the potential is there, but it's going to need us to realize it. And I think that how might this be the best thing that ever happened to us is, is to me the, that's the clanger question right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think we're, uh, we're about at our, at the end of the, uh, prearranged recording time. The, the end times <laughs> Yeah, are here. Um, do you have any, uh, any final offerings or, or any, uh, any gifts that you'd like to, to leave people with today as, as we bring this conversation to a close? No, you know what? I, uh, somebody told me once that the first job of a leader is to tell the truth and the last job of a leader is to say thank you. <laughs> and yeah, what, what it feels like it's time for it in terms of this session is just to say thank you to both of you guys for starting a podcast on the topic of obstacles and navigating through obstacles and uh yeah whatever the inspiration was for this last year or two years ago whenever you guys started i just uh i think these conversations that you guys are convening are hugely important and now superiorly relevant Mm -hmm. to people as every day represents a bunch of obstacles and the question of how how might i get through this so yeah thanks a lot for doing this well, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. That's appreciated, and and we we do agree. Uh, this is now is the time. Now is the time to embrace obstacles because they they can be the most important part of the journey. Right on. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places, obstaclecoursepodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it has nothing to do with our fragile eagles. Well... Uh, You know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourselves. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles.